Well, what assurances do you really have in life? Really? People are trying to sell you assurances all over. You think about going to the mailbox every day and all the trash mail that you get, and you open it up, and you look on the front, and it says zero APR for 24 months, and then you go read the fine print, and those assurances become, well, if, if I pay my bill, bill on time. Otherwise, it goes to 28% immediately. So you think about all the things in life, the people in life that are trying to sell you their assurances. How's that working out? You think about the assurances that you're trying to buy in life as well. If you live in Magnolia, there are mosquitoes I have found everywhere, and they are huge. I think that's just part of living in Texas. And so if you're going to engage with somebody who's going to come to your property and kill mosquitoes and roaches, what do you want to know? You want to know that those roaches and mosquitoes are going to be dead for like eternity, and you're going to pay $500 for that to happen, and you want the assurance that they aren't going to come back, but you're not going to get it. They're lying to you if they're say, saying that they're not going to come back. So people sell you assurances. People tr you try to, we try to buy assurances from other people. I want you to think about the work assurances that you hope that you might have as well. You know, the guy or the girl above you who is paid to come into your office and sell you half-truths and say, hey, I know oil and gas is $40 a barrel, but you're going to have a job. Or the work assurances when the, the company merges and the guy or the lady comes in and says, we're going to do everything we can to keep your job. We're going to be open and transparent with you about what's happening. How does that work out oftentimes? What assurances can you rest in in this world? And you think about relational assurances that you are banking on. Some of you are married and when you went to the altar and you said, till death do us part. Is that an assurance, even in the covenant of marriage, that you can for sure have? And then there's just the category of life assurances, daytimer assurances, that things in your schedule are going to go exactly the way you plan. Good luck with that. Or the life assurances that you want to have about your health, or the plans that you have when the doctor comes in the room and says, we're going to have to do further tests. What assurances do you really have in this life? I know you're going to leave and you're going to say, what did you learn this morning? And you're going to turn to your spouse and say something like, well, I learned I can't trust anybody, especially you. Just kidding. That's not where I'm going. <laughs> Can you bank on anything? Can you trust? Can you rest assured in anything? And I'm here to tell you this morning that there are promises that God gives his people that you can rest assured in today and all the way into the future, an eternal future. You see, God's word gives us his promises, and you can bank on the promises from God's word. You can trust in them. They are not clickbait. They are not junk mail. They are not trash. But they are sure promises that God offers you if you know him through his son. And the message this morning that we're going to see in Romans chapter 8, turn there with me, in verses 18 through 30, is all about assurance and security that you can have not only in this present life, but also hope for the future, the distant future, that you can rest assured in the present and future promises of God, even when the twists and turns of life not only come to your doorstep, but show up in the living room. When the brokenness of life shows up in your life, kids, when you don't make the team or you don't get the grade and you're worried, you're worried about what mom and dad 
have to say because you feel like your life is about performance. And adults, maybe you're married and you're trying to get pregnant and that is not yet happening. Or maybe you've lost a child and missed carriage. Maybe your child has to go get surgery and you're entrusting the doctor's hands and God's hands to this child. Or maybe it's trouble at work or the doctor's saying you need to go get that cancer test run. Or a loved one is sick or your house floods or a pandemic shows up a year and a half into your life and wrecks shop. What can you trust in? Who can you trust in? You can rest assured in God's promises from his word. Turn with me to Romans 8, page 944. And then this text today is going to remind you and me that we can rest assured in two promises. Two primary promises with a lot of arms on them as we are waiting. And oftentimes as we are weary with the beat down that the world gives us. And last week, if you were here, we learned that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And what a great hope and assurance that is. But what about when life is turned upside down? I know that the Bible says, and we've learned in the last few weeks, that God provides us assurance. He's given us his identity as believers in Christ. We were once dead in our sins, and now we are alive to Christ. He gives us fuel, as we talked about last week, through the Holy Spirit to fuel the Christian life. We know that Christ saves us from our sins and makes us right before God because we had no hope, Romans 1 through 3. We know all those truths, but when life gets turned upside down and we are weary and we are waiting, where is God's promise then? Romans 8. And I'm going to read verse 18 through 25, and you're going to see the first part. Romans 8, 25. Excuse me, 18 through 25. This is Paul. He says this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been, note this word, groaning, together in the pains of childbirth until now. Not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. The first promise that you see in verses 18 through 25 of Romans 8 is this. Rest assured, saint. Rest assured in the future hope God promises for waiting saints. There's three legs to this in those seven verses. And if I were to summarize them, there are three future promises really of heaven. The hope of heaven, a new heaven and a new earth. There's future glory that doesn't compare with the sufferings that we have right now. Verse 18, and then you look at verses 19 through about 23. You see in the future, even creation is groaning. 
since the fall, creation has been groaning to be set free like you and I. And so you see creation's restoration one day. That one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. And then last, you see this adoption being complete. And if you were with us last week, we talked about how we are heirs. We are children of God. We are adopted sons and daughters of the King. And there's an already not yet reality to that because we are sons and daughters of the King. And yet we await future. When we, a future where heaven allows us to see the full picture of our adoption. So you see future glory, creation's restoration, and adoption being complete in these verses. See, there is a future hope. And that future glory, this is the Apostle Paul. You think about the other things that Apostle Paul said about heaven. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17 through 18. It'll be up here on your screen. Here's what Paul says. This is the passage where you learn that we are jars of clay, that we are crushed, not perplexed. We are driven to despair. We are persecuted, forsaken. This is Paul talking about the struggles and the sufferings of life that we go through as believers in Jesus. And he says this in verse 17 in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. He says, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Verse 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Sound familiar? Romans 8. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. He calls suffering in this world light. Do you agree? If you've ever been through anything, it doesn't feel light. But let me stop just for a minute and talk about the Apostle Paul. Has Paul been through anything in his life? You think about his life. You think about the status that he had. You think about the wealth that he had. You think about the name that he had and the power that he had, and he gave it all up for Christ because Christ met him on Damascus Road, and it changed him. And he thought all that knowing Christ was more important and and the surpassing value of knowing Christ was much more of a treasure to him than all the world. And he calls all the junk that he went through, do you remember? All the stuff that Paul went through with beatings and scourgings and shipwrecks and snake bites and ultimately death, and he calls it all light. You know, people say that we shouldn't compare ourselves, and that's true. We shouldn't compare ourselves to one another. That never goes anything anywhere well, but this text is basically saying you need to compare your present circumstances with a future reality. That's what Romans 8 is saying, and he's also saying it here. He's trying to give us as believers who are going through junk, who are going through suffering, an eternal perspective, and he's meaning to say, and he says it, the weight of glory. He's comparing in Romans 8 the weight of glory which has a weight to it, to the weight of our sufferings. Because surely your sufferings and your hardships and your pains have weight in your life. But it doesn't even compare. That's what he's saying here in 2 Corinthians 4. Look at it. For the eternal weight of glory is beyond all comparison. So it's right and good for us to compare. When we are going through a hard time to compare heaven to earth and say, this is our future hope. This is our sure hope of the future. Is such a balm to our lives. This is what Paul is saying to them. And so there is future glory. There is also creation's restoration. If you look back at it in Romans 8, look at the details. We know that the creation 
from Genesis 3 onward has fallen. Remember Adam and Eve fell into sin, and before they did, what was the creation like? It was this beautiful place in which God wanted to dwell with Adam and Eve, and yet sin came into the world. And what does it say in Genesis chapter 3, about 16 through 18 or 19? It says that there's a curse, not just for the woman, not just for Adam, but also on the ground. That the world, in a sense, is cursed as well. It's broken. You see it every day. And so when we come to Romans 8, you see this creation that is groaning, and it is waiting as well to be set free. When does this text say it'll be set free? It says, when the sons of God are set free, you and me, when Jesus returns, what's going to happen? What do we see in the book of Revelation 21 and 2? We see a new heaven, and we see a new earth where the lion lays down with the lamb, and all things are right, and all things are restored, and your body and my body are made new. This is hope for you. This is hope for me. And last, you see this adoption being complete. In other words, this new heaven and this new earth that we can take to the bank, that we can rest assured that's going to happen, is our hope. It's our future hope. But until then, what do we do? We wait and hope for it. We groan. We wonder what and why life throws us the curveballs that it does. Maybe you know the name Joni Erickson Tata. She's a writer. She had an accident when she was young. She's a paraplegic, but she writes. One of the best books on suffering and pain that you will ever read is entitled When God Weeps, and she wrote it. You ought, I, I would endear that book to you if you're going through trouble. Written from her perspective about trouble and about pain, and about suffering, and all that book does is point you toward heaven. Some of the quotes that come out of that book that I resonate with when I'm going through trouble, she says this, the soul that soars to heaven's heights on wings like eagles overcome, look at this picture, the mud of earth that keeps us stuck to the temporal limited perspectives that we have. Every Christian who keeps looking up stretches his heart's capacity to heaven. What a great word. One guy said it this way, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react. What are your groanings? What are the groanings of your heart and your soul? And what do you do with those groanings when they come? Your pain, your sorrow, your heartache. Where do you take those? Do you have an eternal perspective that allows you, not perfectly, but to look to God and trust him through the pain? How do you wait through your sufferings? And maybe you're here this morning, and this idea of heaven is just kind of a fairy tale idea to you that you don't believe or you've not yet believed, but these are the sure promises that you can rest in in this world, knowing that God has prepared a place for you, as Jesus would say. Knowing that one day, if you trust in his son, there's a free gift of eternal life, as Paul would say a few chapters ago. That is great hope for us. Rest assured in the future hope God promises for waiting saints, because until glory, we're waiting. 
If I could say this in another way, I would simply say it in, like this. It will not always be this way. Do you believe that? It won't always be this way. Whatever it is that you're going through, it won't always be this way. There is a future hope for God's children. But let's be honest. We know that. I know these truths, but when I'm hurting, those are surely helpful. But is there any present help today, God? Right? Is there any present help for us today? Because life can be wearying. Even if I trust in those promises, the beatdown of life makes me weary, even as a person who knows and believes in those future promises that God gives me. So what do you got for me, God? Look at verse 26 through 30. Here's what he's got for you. It's awesome. Check this out. Verse 26. Look at the help as I read this. Think about the present help that God gives you for your weariness, for your weakness. Paul says this, likewise, the Spirit, there it is again, the Holy Spirit, helps us. He's the paraclete. He's the helper. He's the counselor. He helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. He prays for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn of many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Listen to this beautiful promise, this second promise. Not only does God give us a future hope for waiting saints, but he also gives us a present help. He promises us a present help for weary saints, for weak saints like you and like me. He meets us where we are. Notice the couple of helps that he gives us. The first one is the Holy Spirit. We know that the Holy Spirit gives us help. He aids us, verse 26 and 27. Also, you see in verses 28 through 30 that God's sovereign plans and purposes, that he's got you from eternity past to eternity future, and we're going to walk through both of these things. But the first thing I want to walk through here is verse 26 and 7 about the Holy Spirit's help. If you've ever studied this passage or looked at this passage, maybe you've heard the interpretation and the Spirit helps us with groanings too deep for words and intercedes for us. I'll tell you that there's no commentator, there's no expositor that I look at that interprets this passage. Whatever you believe about the spiritual gifts, whatever you believe about the gift of tongues, for example, some people look at this text and they say, because there's groanings too deep for words, that's the spiritual gift of tongues. And I pray to God and He helps me. But there's a Number of problems with that interpretation of this text. If you want to talk about the miraculous gifts and specifically the gift of tongues, we can go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14 and talk about what spiritual gifts are and how the gift, if you believe that it's still going even today, how that works or how it should work and how it would manifest itself. But this passage, it's not us who pray and us who pray in tongues. The Spirit is praying, not us. That's the point. The point of this text is, it's an amazing truth if you catch it. 
is that when you are hurting and you are weary and you don't even know what to pray, when you are faint-hearted and you can't make sense in your life of up or down, and you need someone to help you pray, guess what? It's the Holy Spirit. The word interceding is praying. The Holy Spirit, even when you are faint-hearted and you are weak and you can't make sense of what even to pray, Imagine this, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is before the Father, interceding, praying for you. I want you to think about that for a minute. When you're in a place where you don't know up from down, and you're hurting, you're going, God, I don't even know what to pray. The Holy Spirit is already praying, and not only is he not faint-hearted, but he is loving you by praying for you with energy to the Father, His prayers are more accurate. You think about the will of God. We all want to know the secret will of God, don't we? What's next in my life? What's going to happen out of this trouble? Think about that when you pray. When you pray for someone or pray for yourself when you're sick or when someone else is sick, you often don't know what to pray. You don't know what God's going to do in the future. You trust him, but you don't know what God is going to do with sickness or job or whatever it is. And yet the Holy Spirit does not only... Does he pray for you when you're weary? He's more accurate in praying than you and I are. So rest assured, there's no demerit system. Should we pray regularly, fervently? The Bible says yes. But guess what? Even when we don't pray and don't even pray the right way, there's no demerits for us not praying as if God's not going to come through for us. That's his grace. He's still praying when we're not and maybe you're in a community group right now, and maybe, maybe you've been studying with us this book about Jesus, gentle and lowly, and you've been learning that it's Jesus who intercedes for us, and he's our advocate, and he's our mediator, and that's a beautiful truth, that Jesus intercedes on behalf of the Father for us. He's our mediator, and most of that, when you see in Scripture, what he's doing is He is mediating before the Father because we can't approach God with our sin. And so he's our mediator. But this is a beautiful truth. This is a truth that hits you today when you are weary and you are distressed that the Holy Spirit's role in interceding is to go before the Father when you are weak, when you can't pray, and you don't even know what to pray, and intercede and pray for you. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever considered that? I've not really considered that. That's the beauty of studying the Word. It's like, wait a second. This whole text is about God, Spirit, praying for me when I can't pray. That is present help, y'all. And not only do we have that, but you get to verse 28. Verse 28, you know it. It's the coffee cup verse. And we know that all things work together for good for those who are called according to his promise. All things work for good. That's the the singular verse that we often go to when we're in pain or somebody else is in pain, but there's a sandwich here in verse 25 or 26 and 7. In the middle of that sandwich is verse 28, and the end of that sandwich is verse 29 and 30. Ever use that text or anybody ever use verse 28, all things work together for good when you're really hurting and you just feel like you got hit by a two by four? You ever been there? You ever quoted that verse to someone? There's a reason it often feels like a two by four because they don't feel in that moment like what they're going through is ultimately good. But if you come to them and you say, look, God 
Spirit meets you where you're at right now. When you can't make sense of up or down, he's here. And that's why we know that he works all things for good. It's not that things are good. Hard is hard. Pain is pain. Good is good. But it's his good that comes out of even pain. See also Joseph. Brothers meant it for evil, and it was. But God used it for good. That even in the hard stuff, even in the suffering and the weakness, that God can be at work to bring good out of it. And here's the other, the bottom part of that sandwich, verse 29 and 30. How do I know that God is good? How do I know that there's hope for the future? Look at verse 29 and 30. This is incredible. For those, this is often called the golden chain of salvation. This chain that cannot be undone. This chain that God Wrotes in our lives. This isn't our work. It's his work. Look at it. Verse 29. For those he foreknew. The idea of foreknowledge is not just information about your future. That's often how we interpret this. That God knew what we would do. And therefore he foreknew us. But look at the phrase. It says whom. It doesn't say what. It says whom he foreknew. He foreknew you. It's personal. He knew you. Think of the Old Testament and Jeremiah, how God knew him. David, in my mother's womb, God knew me. Foreknowledge is more than just knowing what would happen down the corridors of time. Surely God knows that, but he knows more than that. He knows you, whom he foreknew. That's a beautiful truth. Look at it. We're going to keep going here. Those he foreknew, he also predestined. He determined predetermined. That's what it means. Ephesians 1, 4, and 5. You can go look it up. Lots of other passages where God foreknew you and he predestined you. Not only did he predestine you, he determined. Why would he do that? To be conformed to the image of his son that you might grow sanctification in the image of his son in order that he might be the first mourner among many brothers and those whom he predestined. Here's the next part of the chain, the unbroken chain. So foreknew, predestined, what else? He called. And this calling is not just an invitation where you receive it or you don't. This is an effectual call that he's, if he calls you to himself, he's got you. It's effectual in his calling. You will come. And then look at the rest of this chain. And those he called, he also justified. That's what we've been studying in Romans, right? That he declared us right because of his son. Not because of our works or our deeds, but because of his son through faith. And those he justified, he also, what's the last word? Look at it. He glorified. What tense are we in when it says glorified? We're in the past tense. He, He says it in the past tense, but the idea of glorification is future. It's when you die that you will be raised. That's your hope in the future. So what is Paul doing here? He's saying it is so sure. Your glorification as a Christian is so sure that I can talk about it in the past tense. That's amazing that you and I are secure. If we know Christ, we are secure. Why does Paul do this right here? Does he do it so we can talk about the doctrines of grace and we can argue about free will? I don't think that's why he's doing this here. We're going to get to Romans 9 and we can talk all about that fun stuff. But here is the point. As true as the doctrines of grace are, I believe, 
That's not the point. The point in this passage that Paul is trying to make is he's addressing suffering and weary and weak saints. And what he's saying to them is that God has you. What you're going through right now pales in comparison. He's got you from eternity past, foreknowledge, predestination, called to eternity future, glorified, it's going to happen. You catch that? For the faint-hearted, for the weary, I've got you. It's going to be okay. Even when the world beats you up, I've got you. I'm here for you. I love you. That's why Paul goes there. So can I say, verse 28, absolutely I can. I can say it because the Holy Spirit is interceding and he's praying in ways that I can't even pray. And I can say it because God from eternity past and to eternity future has us if we are his children. So can I say, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are calling according to his purpose. I can say that. And that's why. So maybe next time you're hurting or someone around you is hurting and you want to give them a word to encourage them as you should. Maybe the word is this, God's got you. Through all the pain and all the hardship, he's with you. He knows you. He's known you from eternity past to eternity future. He's got you. He cares for you. He's with you. He loves you. And he will work good out of bad, hard, pain, suffering. He will do it. Trust him. I don't know about you, but this takes a lot of experience that I don't really want. <laughs> I don't know about you. It takes a lot of trial and error. I don't know how many times I've said, God, why? A lot, regularly. Why this? Why this way? I'm trying to trust your wisdom, but it seems like there would be a better plan if I came up with it. Right? It's something that we learn over time. I'm gonna get, let me share with you. Um, in every family, there's the kid who gets hurt, like more than the other one that you go to the ER with and all that, right? Um, so when Claire was little, you know, go through the whole shot thing where you go to the doctor and you give them shots and, and then you get to about a year and you have to get these extra shots and you're holding your child. You've been there? And I got that job as the father. I'm holding her and the doc, or the nurse or the lady who's doing the pricking is trying to find a vein and she's having trouble finding the vein for Claire. And she's poking and prodding on her and Claire is screaming and she's looking right at me and, and with, without being able to communicate and, say, and effectively saying, Dad, Father, why are you letting this happen to me? That's an awful feeling. That's a terrible feeling. And yet there was good it was meant to come from the prick. Here's an interesting thing. After that point, there's a number of things that have happened in our family involve her and accidents. So she was bouncing on the trampoline as a little girl with my wife, and she fractured her leg. This is a very common occurrence. And she went to the doctor, and she says, my mom broke my leg. Try having that conversation with the doctor, right? We're building trust here. Maybe she was coming off of me holding her and not allowing the nurse to go away. I don't know. And then she was playing with her brother 
and some friends in the bathroom and slipped and hit her head on the side of the bathtub, big old whelp. And so we coached her that time, coached her a little bit when we went to the ER and said, okay, let's not blame dad or mom. And she was cool with that the next time. And then she fell. <laughs> she fell on the, she was riding her bike one day and the boys were playing basketball out on our street. And I heard this thud on the concrete. And it was like the one time she didn't wear her helmet. And her head just bounced off the concrete. And this girl loves desserts. And so we had taken her to like TCBY earlier in the day and she couldn't remember any of it. I'm like, all right, we got to take her in. She had a concussion. We got to take her in, figure it out. And by that time she was okay. Like she trusted us. Okay, we're going to go to the ER. You've been there plenty of times. (laughs) I'm seeing trust. And then maybe the worst one of all, she was at Chick-fil-A when she was like six years old and she breaks her arm. And it was one of those breaks that you could physically see the break and you're going, does she need surgery? And we took her to get x-rays and she's screaming but you can tell there's a big difference in the trust. The trust factor with mom and dad, we had to tell you the orthopedic, get it all fixed. There was a trust that grew in my daughter's heart for her father and her mother through suffering and trial. That's true for you and me as well. Because oftentimes we go the other way. Why would you let this happen to me? Do you love me? And God may not come through for you exactly the way and with the plans that you want, but he's there. He's with you, whatever the scenario. So you can rest assured in his promise of a fixed future hope, C3. And that hope is heaven with a new heavens and a new earth where your body is changed and the world is changed And the decay of the world and the groanings of the world are no more. And he gives you present help through the spirit interceding for you, through the knowledge that he's for you and with you from eternity past to eternity future. You can rest assured that the word of God is not junk mail, that it's not clickbait, that it's not at all like the promises that people make to you that they can't ever cash, even beyond death do us part, that God has you, even in that moment. Our family often takes trips in the summer out of the heat, maybe you do too, usually to Colorado. If you've ever been up on a hiker's trail in Colorado, maybe you've seen or maybe not even knowing seen some pine trees called limber pines. You ever seen them? Next time you go to Colorado, Estes Park, they're all over the place on the trail. There's a lot of different trails. Pastor tells a story of his family going on a trail um, and seeing all these limber pines. There's a reason they're called limber pines. They're limber pines because the branches, you can literally take a limber pine, a small branch, and rotate it and tie it into a knot and do whatever with the branch you want, and it has that kind of buoyancy to it. And if you go on any trails, you'll see, especially well-traveled trails in Colorado, what you'll see in those moments, you'll, you'll see a lot of knotted trees if you're looking for it. Now you're looking for it. Now you're thinking about it. 
A lot of knotted trees because children will tie knots in the low branches of these trees. And so if you're going along on a hike and you see one of these and you want your kid to experience the tying of a knot, you often have to untie the knot to retie it. But I just want you to imagine for a minute being on a trail and doing that and then imagine that that knot is way up in the tree and you as a parent can't reach down and let your kid do that. Do you think that they can go, get up the tree and untie that knot? And some of the teenagers and kids in here are I can do it. It'd be a lot harder to do. What about if it's on the top of a mountain and the knot is tied? Do you think you can get there to get that knot? And just imagine that that tied knot is in heaven. Do you think you can get there? You can. Here's the beautiful truth of this passage about the present help and the future glory that God gives and the future promises. The promises of God are secure. They're just as secure as a tied knot in heaven that you can't undo. Your takeaway today is you can't untie God's knot. He is for you. He's foreknown you. He's predestined you. He's called you to be conformed to the image of his son. And he wants to glorify you one day. He will glorify you one day. So that one day, whether your heart is there or not right now, he's got you. You can't untie his love for you. He has tied his heart to yours. Do you believe that? He's tied his heart to yours. And he gives the assurance of present help for weary saints that you can tap into. And he gives the help of future hope that he promises for waiting saints. And the hope that we have, the eternal weight of glory. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that we can truly say that you're good. And you do work all things, not just some things, not just a few things, that you do work all things for good. For those who are called according to your purpose, those who know you. We think of Jesus who says things like, no one can snatch them out of my hands, they're mine. Those I've called, I will not cast off, they're mine. So we thank you for the promise that you give us in your word and by your son that we could walk in assurance, that we could believe that we are secure. And even in the troubles and the temptations and the hardships of life, we can know and believe that it's not always going to be like this. That one day there will be a new heavens and a new earth. But until then, you've given us your spirit and your promise from eternity past to eternity future. We love you. We thank you for your promises that are sure that we can take to the bank. In Jesus' name, amen.